Welcome to the reading of Dr. Richard Ganz's book, Psychobabble, The Failure of Modern Psychology, and The Biblical Alternative, copyright 1993 by Richard Ganz. This book is read and distributed with the author's permission. This MP3 audio file is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books, which offers a large selection of free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed resources on the web at swrb.com. We continue our reading on page 91. Chapter 8. Equipping the Body The world is filled with broken, sinning, and hurting people. Counseling centers of all kinds, Christian and non-Christian, are overloaded. As a young Christian, I was still working at a medical center complex when I was invited to a Catherine Coleman healing service. What was most incredible to me was not what happened or didn't to those people. The incredible reality was the enormous number of people clamoring for healing. There must have been 20,000 people in attendance. One must conclude that masses of people are desperate even within the church. People are running blindly here and there for healing and restoration. Few of them realize that the church itself, under the Holy Spirit's direction, is active in the process of restoration. The Spirit of Christ working in the church restores the brokenhearted. The church ministers to people who have been torn apart by sin. Sometimes the sin is of their own doing. They have lied, cheated, abused their wives or children, cheated on their wives or husbands, or destroyed their bodies with alcohol and drugs. The consequences have ravaged them. Often when they come to their senses and repent, the situation for them is dramatically less fortunate than that of the prodigal son. Sometimes people are victims of someone else's sin. A strong, tough man once described the years of sexual abuse he had received at an orphanage run by a religious order. He detailed how he had been abused from the very first day he arrived. He described how good people who had wanted to adopt him had been told lies to keep them from taking him so that he could remain a sexual plaything for the leaders of this religious order. He had only recently uncovered those lies. The man's voice broke as he recounted the years of suffering. Clichés won't work with such wounded people. Only the Word of God applied to the hurt and pain of his life through the Holy Spirit by the body of believers ministering compassionately could heal him. It is not enough for a counselor to speak about a person's wrecked past and offer hope. The whole congregation must accept the one who is scarred, marred, and torn. The salvation God offers is not just from sin, death, and hell. Restoration is available now by God's grace to all of God's people who admit their hurt, pain, and suffering. People do not need to talk incessantly about a dysfunctional past, although many do. I have ministered to such people. 
They use their past as an excuse to avoid both solving their problems and ministering to others. The truly dysfunctional, although I reject this term, do not dwell on their dysfunctionality, but rather quietly carry their bruises and brokenness. They are damaged goods. Often the real problem is not the damage, but their belief that they are irreparably damaged. In fact, without Jesus Christ they are beyond repair. Often these people go on to a life of crime, or they inflict on others the sin and criminal behavior done to them. But with Christ, restoration is possible. In the previous chapter, we looked at the concepts of equipping and building up. Let's now look at the concept of equipping the body in more depth. In the Greek, the word for equipping is katardizo. In classical Greek, it was used to describe the refitting of a ship or the setting of a bone. It can also be translated as perfecting or completing what is lacking. It is used 13 times in the New Testament and in different ways depending on the context. It is also used in Ephesians 4, the passage that is the basis for understanding not only the work of the pastor-teacher, but also the work of the church. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, James and John are in a boat with their father, and they are mending, katardizo, their net. In order to make a living, a fisherman must keep his net repaired. If he does not, he can lose his entire catch. This passage gives us a picture of a church as a body of people, a grand net. Pastor Ken Smith points out that broken relationships are like a hole in the net. What if the hole becomes a large tear? Most churches are filled with tears and holes. The people of God must constantly be on the lookout for them. They must be ready at all times to do the work of mending. They must show interest and sympathy in the hurts and sufferings of those around them and be willing to do all that is possible to mend those tears. Only in this way can the body be built up. This is easily said, but more difficult to do, because we live in an age when people coming into the church are largely consumed with self. Self-absorption is a habit that is hard, but not impossible, to break. All people hurt at some time. Few are prepared to look beyond their own troubles to help someone else. They have developed the habit of thinking, Make me feel better, and then I'll help you, if I have time. They do not realize that their problem will often seem smaller if they step out and enter with encouragement, not commiserating gossip, into the world of someone else's problems. I do not want to suggest that all problems go away when a person gets involved with others, but it is true that people are helped when they know that they are not carrying their burdens all on their own, that others are interested in them and are prepared to help. Martha had been hospitalized five times 
for various psychiatric disorders. She is doing beautifully in our church. It is the counseling and ministry of others in the church that have accomplished this. She said recently, This is the first time in my life that I am not lonely. I don't think we can ever overestimate the force for good of biblical involvement in other people's lives. The term katardizo is also used by Luke. In Luke 6.39, Jesus told a parable about a blind man who was unable to lead another blind man because both of them would fall into the pit. He said a pupil is not above his teacher, but that everyone, after he is fully trained, katartizo, will be like his teacher. He then goes on to ask, And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Luke 6, 41 and 42. Jesus is asking, How can you minister to the blind if you are blind? Katartizo is used here in the context of dealing with ourselves first so that we can minister to others. Pastors often have blindness that leaves them unable to help others. They need to deal with their personal problems in order to be of any help to others. For pastors to pretend nothing ever troubles them is foolish. It is even worse when pastors attempt to lead the flock without dealing with their own problems first. Christians, especially pastors, need trusted friends with whom they can share the details of problems and receive honest and straightforward biblical counsel in response. Otherwise, they are walking in blindness And one of the great problems with blindness is that it persists. If not dealt with, it persists through the generations. Parents can also train their children in blindness. Unrenounced patterns of hate, bitterness, and resentment are passed from one generation to the next. When we refuse to deal quickly with our sins, our churches and our families are torn apart. Many churches are shepherded by pastors and elders who are blind. Many families have children who are clones of their parents, possessing their parents' worst problems. What a shame! If we were willing to look at ourselves and deal with our blind spots biblically, many of these problems would be smashed and swept away. Katartizo was also used by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.10. The Corinthian church, largely composed of Gentiles, had many problems in connection with its growth. Paul exhorted the brethren, By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there be no division among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Here, katartizo means that you all agree, or be perfectly united, KJV. Paul told the Corinthians to come together in Christ. 
they were to stop choosing sides as far as apostolic leadership was concerned. Paul gave this advice to those who sided with himself as well as to the other factions. In the Corinthian situation, factionalism had reached new heights. Church members were quarreling over who had the greatest gifts. One part of the body said it didn't need the other parts. Paul reminded them that the gifts are given in order that the whole body might work together, that Christ's people and work on earth would not be divided. Finally, in chapter 13, Paul gave the ultimate antidote to the foolishness and pride characterizing the church. Love. One commentary pointed out that the word for umpire is almost identical to katartizo. The idea is to bring together as an umpire mediates between two opposing factions. We have a much greater umpire, Paul said, in the Holy Spirit. He makes no bad calls. Paul argued that Christians need to do whatever is necessary to bring about perfect unity without tossing out truth. That means that Christians must strive to work out differences that hinder their unity. People must not seek supportive grumble groups for their particular grievances in the church. Even when there are legitimate differences of opinion, the people of God will continue to strive with one mind for perfect unity in the faith. Finally, we see katartizo in Galatians 6.1. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore katartizo, such a one, in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. The word is used commonly in relation to church discipline. It conveys the sense of recovering a brother or sister who has been caught up in a trespass. That person is to be restored gently. Even if he is not ready to give up his sin, he needs help, the kind of help which will restore him to the place he ought to be. So Paul tells the church to restore him, not waiting until the person comes forward, which is the usual scenario in counseling. It involves going to the person hurt by sin, even before he may be fully aware he needs help. Today, if there is a sin of omission in Christ's church, it is that the church, especially its leaders, sits back and does little regarding sin. I am not suggesting that we rush around looking for sin. At the same time, when someone is caught in it, the church must be mobilized to bring about restoration. Otherwise, people become firmly entrapped in sin from which they might have been rescued had the church responded quickly with gentle confrontation. If we understand the meanings of the word katartizo, to mend, to train, to promote unity, to restore, and apply them, I believe we will see the church equipped and strengthened immeasurably. As we keep our eyes and hearts open for those who are broken, their restoration and the knitting of their bones will bring considerable health and energy to the church. 
The church needs to be encouraged in this task, knowing that Christ will restore his hurting flock. Understood in these ways, katartidzo is an essential concept for an effective counseling ministry.